Hey guys, welcome to the Coda Kings podcast for another episode. This is Matt. Joining me today is a good friend of mine from the rock band Thirsty Merc, Ray Thistlesweet. <laughs> Very hard name to say. I always have to apologize to Ray. I'm like, Ray, did I say your name properly? He's like, no. No, he doesn't really karate chop me in the face, but I think I deserve it sometimes. Ray is not only an accomplished singer-songwriter with the band Thirsty Merc, which have had massive hits over the last decade with within Australia, including some hits like 20 Good Reasons, In the Summertime, which is still Bondi Rescue's television theme song, Someday Someday, Mousetrap Heart, Tommy and Krista. The band has done extremely well. They've gone double platinum in Australia, received four ARIA Award nominations. Their slideshow album reached platinum status. They're, they're a fantastic band. Ray's got a great passion to help other budding musicians along their journey in their musical career and as a result of that he's actually been on the APRA songwriting board as a um, assistant and is regularly there in lots of musical schools as well giving advice doing seminars and doing workshops with other musicians in schools and I love that about him because I'm all about schools and all about helping young people as well and Ray and I have that connection so without further ado Please enjoy Ray Thistlethwaite talking about a whole range of stuff from his childhood practicing band routines to what he would say to his younger self if he was younger again. Hope you enjoy. Well, g'day. Welcome to the Coda Kings podcast. And I've got my good friend here, Ray. How do you say your last? I always say it wrong. Thistlethwaite, is yeah, it? Thistlethwaite. Yeah, Thistlethwaite. Thistlethwaite. That's awesome. How are you, man? Thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, good to see you. That's awesome. Well, well, um, we know, if you guys that know listening, that Ray is a magician. No, he's not a magician. He's a, he's a bit of a magician in music. He's... He's best known for his work with Thirsty Merc, a great successful band in Australia, and he's got a great solo project going on called Sunray. Sunray with R-A-I, not the sun rays of, you know, my sunray sunshine stuff, but he's awesome, doing really well. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with um, the Merc lately and your solo stuff, man. Oh, I've been doing uh, quite a bit with both. Um, getting ready to uh, do a new album with Thirsty Merc. First uh, oh, new cool. album that we will have released since 2010. Uh, we did do an acoustic uh, tour and an acoustic album that we released at the end of 2014. Um, and we had such a good time on that that we decided to hit the studio again. Um, mm. And I sort of looked through the files and realised that I had a whole album's worth of material there. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've uh, we've been putting that together, and um, it's coming out great. Uh, we're not all the way there yet, but we're we're definitely uh, well into the pre-production. And uh, as for the the solo stuff, I've been uh, doing a lot of um, development of that over in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. spending uh, quite a last well quite a lot of the last three years over in California. Um, and I've recorded and released three EPs so far. Yeah, it's awesome. Love it. Um, and I've actually done a crowdfunding uh, campaign, which was successful for a full-length studio album, mm. um, which is a little more on the, 
the kind of electro pop kind of version of the you know jazz soul stuff that I've, I've been doing as well um, but yeah I've got shows coming up with uh, a jazz drummer from Perth here in Australia over April um, and um, yeah hopefully can get the uh, the full length album out mm-hmm. soon as well I just did a music video uh, actually last week in LA just before I got back to Australia oh nice so yeah things have been busy yeah you've been flat out man um, I guess I'm thinking like back what would my 16 year old self want to ask Ray from Thirsty Merc and from Sunray and he's such an accomplished musician uh, for the musician fans out there like tell us about um, is there a template that you usually have for your band rehearsals like do you just get in there and jam or is it about what's coming up is it based around that um, well, I mean, there's two different sort of types of rehearsals, I guess. Well, there's so many different types, but a lot of the times there's a, a run of shows uh, where we're sort of, you know, maybe rejigging a set list and adding a few new songs, but primarily we're sort of working out a way to get the, the arc, you know, the kind of whole contour of where the, the show starts and grows to and finishes and if we have any special features in there. But there's a lot of existing material. So that's essentially more of a brush-up kind of thing. Cool. Um, Then there's, of course, what kind of rehearsals you're doing when you're kind of getting ready to record. That can be in the realm of uh, pre-production. And also how to, you know, be gigging on new material that you're adding in. There's obviously a big learning curve and a big sort of like uh, picking up the slack of new material and bringing it up to the standard of stuff that you've been playing Mm. for many years. So, you know, you've sort of got to fast track it. But, um, you know, a band like Thirsty Merc, we've got great players and I'm I'm really honoured to be surrounded by Phil Stack and Matt Smith and... um, been playing a lot with Mick Skelton on drums lately, who's a formidable talent as well. And um, you know, we're 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 relatively fast at, at getting the songs together, but it still, you know, requires a bit of uh, you know massaging things here and there to just get get them to kind of really breathe in the right way. And you've just got to try a bunch of things out. Yeah. Um, and also, I find you know having good gear, good production, being on time. Uh, to rehearsals um, rehearsing in a place which you might make a bit of an investment into a, a rehearsal room as opposed to just doing it slapdash in some other thing that way you can get a good vocal sound mm. people can work on backing vocals and some of, it's some of those smaller thought about things that might just be an afterthought that can actually make the gig so you know um, yeah just you know having a, a high standard of production in your head because uh, you know these days you can you can really take that on the road. It's amazing what live production is these days. There's a good combination of analog and digital that's kind of out there that, that people uh, are using. So yeah, um, yeah, you know we we try and just aspire to quality. Really, I think that's awesome. Like back as a kid, um, <clears throat> like you've told me a little bit about your story, but we could have briefly kind of outline like how you kind of got into music and. Like, did you get class, like, formal training with your vocals and with your piano? And did you have a routine that you were pretty... Were you pretty strict with your routine? And did you get involved with school stuff? How did it all begin and, and kind of take us through some of the uh, history of Ray? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the first time I really started uh, getting interested in the piano was when 
Um, I kind of, my, I was lucky enough to have music all around me, and my mum uh, was a, quite a strict person, actually, sort of still is, actually. But um, she was quite. She, she's a piano teacher, so I asked her apparently at a very young age, would she show me a few things? And I think I didn't realise what I was getting myself into because she was getting. <laughs> she was like, "You seriously want to learn?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to learn." She's like, "You want to learn?" I was like, "Yeah, I want to learn." She's like. Okay. And so, you know, she put me through a pretty heavy, you know, uh, rigmarole of scales and arpeggios and some of that sort of early technical stuff. Mm. Um, How old were you back then? Well, I was apparently... That was before my fifth birthday that I actually asked that question. I don't even know if I could, <laughs> I could talk properly at that point, but Come but um <laughs> yeah, but um you know through through my you know really early years and into my early teens, I I was kind of given a bit of that drill, um, and I know I loved the sound of music and music sort of you know turned me on on an on a on an ear training level as well. I liked the sound of chords. I liked the seventh chord. I liked the you know these kind of spicy kind of chords that had different kind of colours and, and, and those upper extensions just made me kind of... I didn't know how to control myself. I was sort of like <laughs> listening to those kind of sounds in just a really weird, excited, intrigued way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that said, I was kind of like any other kid. I kind of didn't really like practising, to be honest. Um, I had a bit of a sort of obsessive sort of practice regime for certain times. I think I was a bit competitive with it within myself. But I didn't really have a kind of group of kids around me that were doing exactly the same thing for me to kind of compete against. I wasn't much good at sport because I was a short sort of dude. I was a pretty weedy kind of kid at school. I was never a good basketball or anything like the kind of tall kids, <laughs> you know, who were always... I was young for my year as well, and I was always like that taller, older for his year mm-hmm. dude who was great at basketball. And my little brother was a way better runner and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I... I kind of uh, did realise that kind of like doing sports training, there's a repetitive element to music training. It's just, you know, you can't water a garden once a year. You've got to water it every day. And you need to do a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of work on it, even if it's a small amount every day. It's better to do that than not do anything and then try and cram it for the last couple of days. And my dad, who, you know, was teaching at high schools, um, who also played gigs on the weekend, he would say it's a little bit the same as learning a language. You know, you do a bit of vocab, you do a little bit of grammar, and then before you go to bed, you just do a bit of reading, you know, because they're all different sort of parts of the language that you're going to have to kind of get to know. Cool. Um, and some of them are, are lists, you know, vocab's lists. What's the word for shoe? What's the word for guitar? What's the word for music? What's the word for ch- desk, table, chair? Those kind of things. Um, then there's the, gramma- the grammatical side of things, where it's how does everything fit together. That's almost like, you know, how does a chord progression work? You know, why do I play this chord going into that chord? Why does this chord have tension and release that wants to kind of travel to this place? Mm. Um, why would we play this scale over that chord? Why are those family of notes associated with this sound? You know, because it's got a major third in it, not a minor third. So therefore, you, if you want to play something, you know, that, that works with that, you're going to include that in the scale behind that sort of thing, you know. Mm. Just all those sort of theoretical things. Um, but, you know, you've just got to be 
um, prepared to do a lot of work with it. But but when you're young, you know, I'm talking, I'm still, I'm 34 years young. But mm. but when you're really young, you want it to be fun. You don't want to just be bored with you know this sort of thing and it's all routine. So you've got to, mm. you know, you just got to be listening to the radio. You got to be going out to gigs even if you're underage. You've got to be sort of seeing real people do it. And I do remember. Mm. Um, Sorry to talk your ear off here, but I do remember the first time I ever heard, not an electric guitar, because my dad had one and he had an amp, but I remember the first time I ever saw a guy at my school assembly with a guitar with a distortion pedal. <laughs> and that was different. Wow. Because that was a sound that I'd only sort of, you know, mm. it was like I'd heard it on, you know, just on the radio, on, you know, solos, and I didn't really know that it was this thing that you just do in the flesh in real life and you know when I saw a, a dude doing it with long hair you know he was at my school assembly I just freaked out I was just like oh my god it's like I'm, I want to do this that's know? awesome yeah it was, it was sort of that was a, a definite moment for me that was really weird like I teach dozens of kids with the green room and so many young guys don't listen to music right they don't like it's a, a weird thing then they a lot of the guys that don't practice, I find don't listen to music. Right. It's an interesting thing. It's like eating food. You know, if you don't eat, you won't, you'll die. Yeah. And if you, I think it's the same with music. Like, yeah. If you don't listen to music, that part of you just kind of fizzles out. It's true. I mean, you got to be, you got to be realising that it's, it's a total cycle. I mean, you're there... You know, I spoke. I was speaking to the the, the jazz trumpeter uh, James Morrison about this, and he. I was sort of saying, look, when you're in, when you're a front man in a band, you sort of you're kind of in the band, and you're kind of looking there, and you're one of the instrumentalists if you're also playing an instrument. But you're really sort of doing this job of communicating, and you know, you're sort of telling this story, and you're looking at the audience, and you're kind of linking the band on a lot of levels to the to the audience. And he said, no, 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 that's not true at all, mate. <laughs> I'm in the audience. I'm playing, but I'm just listening. I'm just a fan, and I'm just hanging out, and the band I'm with, I'm just kind of floating along the top of it all, and I'm just kind of listening as much as it's kind of coming out of me, but I'm sort of a vessel for this thing. And I was like, you know, I need to readjust my thinking to come over to that side, because then I can just be listening to music the whole time, even when I'm playing. And when you're sort of listening, you're actually essentially getting into the shoes of what you're supposed to be communicating as an end end user of the kind of experience if you know what I mean like it doesn't go any further than when it goes in you know and and if you're able to listen while you're performing the two just become the same thing that's beautiful and it sort of helps to inspire you that listening is sort of doing work as well because it's not just oh get off your headphones what are you doing you're sort of researching you know you're kind of checking out what you like you're sort of wading through the immense musical uh, you know landscape out there and you're finding things that you're resonating with and it's helping to shape you know what what music you want to make and it's it's the best way to learn you know mm. you're listening to the code of kings podcast was was there a point in your um was it in your high school education or just after that you know you thought music wasn't going to happen and um, you're like would what would have been that I might save that next question for another one but was there a moment where you were like I'm not sure about this Um, I don't I I think I was either that one track minded that I was sort of lucky in that way that I didn't give myself much of a sort of choice (laughs) but I also think the choice was made for me in the way that I was 
maybe subliminally intuitive to enough to know that if I wasn't really into it on a my heart wasn't in it level it was going to be really really difficult for me to pursue something mm-hmm. um, and that. I think that also I found that, that in combination with you know I wasn't and I'm still not the most confident guy you know all the time at various points but back then I think I was also a bit more um, you know meek as a person you know just generally in, in late high school in a way and I sort of think that I don't think I was you know excelling at school that much I wasn't really as I said I wasn't a killer sportsman or anything I wasn't one of those like above average at everything kind of guys mm. you know like my dad he was teaching at uh, at the school that I went to and Hugh Jackman went to that school and uh, you know I just went there because my dad taught there but my dad reckons that he taught Hugh Jackman French in year nine <laughs> and he said now Hugh was one of those freaks he was good at sport he was a good-looking kid. He was incredible at drama. He was a pretty amazing musician. He wasn't, you know, so much into instruments, but he could really sing mm-hmm. and he could, you know, really communicate. And that was sort of... You could tell it was his gift. But he was also really super above average, if not, you know, really strong academically. And he was a really nice dude. So he was popular <laughs> and people kind of dug him. Was his name Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> One of those sort of... But, you know, and, and my dad said, you know, and he, he had a feeling that he... By the time he was in maybe one of the mid-years of high school, he had a, his sights set on being the school captain, which he was. Wow. He was, he was a bit of an achiever kind of wow. dude. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can tell that those sort of things have sort of rang, you know, they've sort of, uh, you know, rang true for, for Hugh. Hmm. And, you know, you can tell that he's a down-to-earth dude right now. I have friends that have, you know, worked with him on various projects as well. Hmm. Um, and they've said that, you know, it's, it's absolutely the case. So I wasn't like that. I was like, I was like really overdeveloped in the, the musical background that I'd had because there were instruments all over the house. And my mum was a bit of an artist and had taught music for 30 years or something. And my dad was a bit of a music tragic. He'd be playing gigs whenever he could on the weekend. Um, and was good with language. So, you know, mm. songwriting was a combination of words and music. That was sort of, in a way, I just kind of thought, well, you know, out of the people I know, I'm, I'm cut out for that. So I, I may as well just run with this. And I'm not the kind of guy who, you know, uh, likes to do things by half measures. So I just thought I've just got to take this, you know, the whole way if I can. Um so you know it was sort of terrifying, really. But but I've uh, I've run with it, and I still love music, and I've somehow made it, made a living out of it, and I've I've, I've still uh, you know, I've had to roll with the punches a lot in the game, but um, I still you know really really love what I do and and do what I love. Mm. One of the questions that fascinates me is just one more practical question. Mm-hmm. Talking about like um, we talked about practice with bands, and you talked about a little bit of your childhood, but. With your songwriting, is there like, um, do you have a notepad with you all the time? Do you kind of have a word pool on your on your, on your phone? Is there, like, throughout the day, do you kind of get ideas and put, put it down and then kind of try and digest it in, in a session that you put aside? Like, what's your routine and rituals with songwriting for you? 
Yeah, it's kind of it, it, it's you do have a way to capture ideas um, all the time, and I think more importantly than because everyone's got that, you know, everyone's got a, a smartphone or whatever or a laptop or something. You know, not well, not everyone, but mm. um, you know, honestly, I, I've even you know abandoned the smartphone and laptop idea and gone back to the analog pen and paper. Right, and I actually dig that because wow, there's a when you're writing. You know, in pen and paper, you can put something in capitals. You can go over it again with bold. You can put an arrow to it. You don't have to start anywhere on the page. As a blank page, you can do a mind map. You can do one central theme of an idea. You can do arrows coming out of it. You can write a weird prose story that's just a long letter. You can do one little paragraph here. You can have an arrow going over here. You can draw a picture. You can remind yourself of a scene of this and that. You know, you can just kind of like free form... You know, spew it out onto the page mm. and that's kind of more a series of syntax and cut and copies and pasting and this and that which I find is awesome for when you are a bit further down the ideas brainstorming sort of session but you can see why people still use this sort of you know even if they're doing it on a virtual big touchpad they're able to just sketch things out by drawing them um, and that's a great way to, to write um I think most important is be receptive to ideas as they occur to you during the day. Mm. It's almost like um, I noticed you have that um, the butterflies. Yeah. Um, in in uh, your your room in there in the green room, and that's great because ideas are like you know I'm not saying I want to kill the butterflies, but you want to catch the butterflies. Mm. Yeah, they're sort of out there in the in the uh, you know they're just kind of around you all the time, and if you don't. Uh, have the ability to sort of notice them yeah, then well. you won't see it so you know um, yeah you've got to uh, just look it's, you've got to look and listen to life in different ways and you can actually find almost a song in any situation mm. in a strange way um, some things are obviously more poignant than others but if you just change the way you look at anything, there is an opportunity to, you know, adjust the brain into a way and, and the heart into a, a restful place to kind of know how to access something that's right. Um, Was there a song that kind of... There's probably lots of songs that come like that to you, but any that would be well-known by anyone that may be listening that maybe came about that way? Um, there, there no doubt would be. Um, like how was um, 20 Good Reasons is a pretty big song like how was mm. that written was that written pretty like over time or was it one of those ones you yeah it was an interesting song that one um, it was sort of written as a, a chord progression on a guitar originally yeah it's probably one of the most known chord progressions in a lot of ways mm. um, but you know to quote the castle it's what you do with it what you do with it just get it out of the punnet but um, <laughs> but basically I uh, I had you know a very simple um, verse melody with four chords um, and at the time I was actually seeing a girl who was living in the city in Sydney and she was living in a kind of warehouse kind of artist space and the lyrics that I originally wrote were all about um, the feeling that inevitably this wasn't going to work out with this particular person. I was a lot younger, you know, and um, the the lyrics were nothing like what ended up on the final version. 
but the chorus was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So then uh, later on, yeah. So what I have is a, a draft lyric with a, with the existing um, chorus, mm-hmm. and then later on I find for some reason I was uh, I don't know what what I was doing was it on a songwriting thing or we were meeting producers or something. But we were in New York. We might have been doing showcases with the band actually, mm-hmm. but we were in New York. And New York, as, as, as people who've been there know, is so incredibly busy that you can stand on the street there and there's so much going on that you feel incredibly isolated and, and lonely mm. because sort of no one seems to kind of be stopping for any... to sort of smell the roses. Mm. And I'm standing in a sea of people thinking to myself, I'm, you know, 10,000 miles away from this girl I've been seeing and it's kind of not working out and I think it's all going to fall apart and, you know, I'm really lonely now and I don't really... But but why am I surrounded by all these people and it's just such a weird feeling? Um, That's when I went upstairs to the uh, hotel I was staying at and started writing. You know, I said, like, I know about this stuff now. They said love hurts. I wrote that book, you know? And that's kind of when the new lyrics started flowing out. And for some reason, I, I just wrote a poem about it and that became the new lyrics. So, that's brilliant. Um, and, you know, I ended up playing that version. I said, oh, I, had, I played that to the guy at the record label. And I don't know whether it was just because it was my second take at it or it was just the fact that I was in you know, a big city and it had a bit more of a kind of universal kind of appeal to it. But he said that... That's going to affect a lot of people, I think. That's really a big sort of... You're talking about a very a very big... Relevant kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. It's weird, you know. <clears throat> but, um, you know, that's another thing I, I, I always stress to people when I'm uh, advising on songs and coming up with creative stuff is, you know, Leonard Cohen, he... He sometimes it's rumoured that he, he sometimes spends 10 years writing this, the one song mm. he'll write 22 verses of the song and only use four of them <laughs> because it's you know if you look at a movie script you know the number of little posted notes that they've got in there for the different types of drafts you know be happy to go back in and rework your stuff and make it better it can always be improved you know mm. so um, anyway I've totally got on it that's a good trip now what advice would you give um, musicians or bands today, briefly? That um, you know, given briefly, the, briefly <laughs> and, um, go, go and um, go and don't quit your job. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. um, what uh, what advice would you give uh, musicians and bands today that really want a viable commercial career in music right now? What, where would you start? Maybe a few tips, a few observations, and um, uh, really want a career in commercial music. Okay. Um, the, the biggest thing this, this, I'm going to paraphrase something a, a manager in Los Angeles told me um, that, I've, that I've never forgotten and it's such a great true sort of thing he says look statistics show that if you do what you love in music it's going to be really difficult and there's a good chance it's not going to work out if you do what other people tell you to do and you play the game and you kind of go about your ways and sort of don't stay true to your heart and, you know, creatively, there's a good chance it's going to be really difficult and things aren't going to work out. 
So you may as well, you know, if it's not going to work out possibly, you may as well just do what you love anyway. Brilliant. Because then you can always take away, well, I'm proud of that album. I'm proud of that song I recorded. And you can play it to your kids and you can sort of say, look, this, I still love the sound of it. 50 years later, you, you've got that. But if you know you even become a huge success for something that you don't feel is really inside you, you'll probably even resent it, even if you have some money to show for it. And so that's a kind of a roundabout, you know, a slightly more uh, well-worn, cynical version of saying you've got to love what you do. That's brilliant. You know, just get back to that. Um, and enjoyment is is has got to sort of pervade everything you do. You got to work with your friends. You got to get a team of people around you that are gonna, you know. I like to think of it the kind of people I would have been friends with in high school, even if they're twenty years my senior. I like to think of them that we would have been fans at the same concert, listening to the same band, and just vibing out on the music. And if they're enthusiastic about it, and you are, then you can do great things. And it doesn't really matter what their qualifications are. You know, there's less sort of tangible nature in terms of regulations of how to get into the industry there's there's some very regulated ways of getting into it you know obviously you can uh, study music you can get doctorates in music you can do a lot of tuition with music and and uh, that's always very relevant as well because it gives you the it affords you the time to really focus on stuff as well if you really want to get into deep study but um you know if you're out in the field and just having to be streetwise you know your team is that's your alliance you know that's your you know, you, it's a lot of bands out there and you've just got to be very integrated, very honest to each other and treat each other well because, you know, everyone else out there, will, they'll eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, be good to be to deal with and, and develop a good team of people around you. You know, I, I, I tend to think it's about, you know, the musicians and the, and the, and the band are probably in a, in a lot of ways for musicians the, the core of it all but if you can sort of learn from people who have had experience in the business as well you know maybe mm. some booking agents um people who've done songwriting stuff um you know and uh yeah be prepared to just roll with the punches as well you know mm. and uh it can work out you know you can you can uh, it can all be a lot of hard work and no income for two three four years but then you can make a packet of cash fast and then save it by the way you know yeah. if you do make any money you know save, save it yeah yeah save your cash <laughs> um yeah that'd be my advice you know that's yeah. great but you mentioned at the end there like um you know like it's, it's got to be you got to put sacrifice behind your passion you know you, you do you've got to invest but um the second question I had to ask was um, a bit of a more of a philosophical, personal one. Is um, if you could go back in time and visit your twenty-something-year-old Ray, you know, what bit of advice would you say, other than buying Apple shares or something like cheating the game? But um, what bit of advice would you say to yourself? Oh, that's that's a such a good and big question because there's probably some things I would have done very differently at the time now that I know but you're not to know and you can't really focus on those things too much um, mm. I think you know I think this sounds crazy um, 
you know, I've, I've probably in my head I thought, oh, if I had to, if I had my hands chopped off and I couldn't play another note of music, I'd sing. And if I lost the ability to sing, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably top myself. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there are more important things than your career, and I'll tell you what they are. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but it's health and it's family. Yeah, wow. Well. It sounds ridiculous, and I, you know. As a 23-year-old kid who's, you know, indestructible, you're out there and you're just, you're getting one hour of sleep and you've got to drive home, you know, from Melbourne to Sydney to get back for something that night or whatever. And, you know, we've all done it. All bands have done it. But, you know, a few years in, I started realising, you know, you've got to just, you know, you've got to spend as much time with your family as you can and you you can't be indestructible for that long too long you know you got to learn it sounds cliched and cheesy but you got to learn to say no you got to know and not just know to like you know the the really bad stuff but you got to just uh learn to kind of be solid in your character to sort of say you know this is just not my path i can't go down this road i just you know, you just got to stay really strong because it's not a sort of regimented course where it's it's a really strange, ever-changing obstacle course in the music industry. And I, you know, I I probably would have just you know just spent a bit more time with my family and you know maybe maybe it was good that I sort of was a bit unhealthier before because it's taught me that I kind of can't do that mm. for too long, you know, or anymore, you know, kind of thing on levels. So, you know, and it's never too late, you know. You can always turn a new page and, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would have done. But, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, thanks. And the last question is, um, what's the first person that comes to mind when, uh, when you think of the word successful? I mean, I can't help to think but Dave Grohl, but I, then I can't help to think what a crazy roller coaster of a life and you know he you'd talk to him in 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 privacy and i'm sure he's just he's just be blown away by like oh my god it's been it's been it's just been too much you know it's been so intense but i i know he's still you know music's his lifeblood you know and he's he's one of those guys that i i really look up to you know he's had such a, an amazingly interesting career mm-hmm. So I think that's that's cool, and he's a great role model for musicians all around the world too. You know. Yeah, he is. Man, well, thanks for your time, Ray. Appreciate yeah. it. And uh, where can people kind of get hand, their hands on your stuff? You know, what's some stuff that you can plug? Well, thirstymerk.com is your your internet source for information, <laughs> shows, and merchandise for Thirsty Merk. And Ray Thistlethwaite. Um, or IamSunRay.com I-M-S-U-N-R-A-I.com But yeah, just Google Ray Thistlethwaite or even put just R-A-I-T-H-I-S into Google and probably start typing the rest for you. That's what I do. Um, and yeah, that's and I, my shows are around. I'm gigging here in LA and uh, you know various other parts of the world. And uh, yeah, it's always fun. And I'm also doing some stuff in schools as well. Great. So, um, Love that. Um, you know, because I've got educators in my family, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, helping aspiring musicians do their thing too. Well, man, love you. And I love, you too, man. I love your, um, I love it when I hear, I love hearing you talk about music. It's like talking about, like, you know, the most, the biggest love of your life, like a, a wife. 
it's a long, much. it's a long affair, mate. You're still in it, you know. I appreciate your time coming. Yeah, you mate. too. Thanks, Matt. Visit our website www.greenroom.net.au. Click on the Life tab, and you'll see the code of King's Podcast as one of those options. If you'd like to donate and help our cause in reaching more young people, more young men and women to help equip them with life skills and direction with their life, please click on that Life tab, and there should be an option there to support our cause. Thanks so much for listening.